Create an Unstoppable Life, episode 162. Create an Unstoppable Life is all about mindset for the high achiever to help you build a life of fulfillment and freedom. I'm your host, Dina George, MD, a mindset and marketing coach and a family medicine physician. It's an honor to spend time with you today. It is another great day. And there's another amazing human that you are about to meet. Her name is Dr. Kathy Zhang. I met her a few years ago and she was quiet and there was a lot going on. You could tell she was really thinking. She really had a lot to say. And she was a a quiet, powerful writer and she's become a quiet, powerful speaker and then more sharing speaker to the world. And she's got a fantastic message. So that's how I'd introduce you. How would you introduce you? Hi, Dina. I would introduce myself as um, probably pretty similar. A uh, a people loving introvert who has a voice was and who was just nervous to put it out in the world. And I have to thank you for being part of that journey. I, I remember when we first met talking to you about this, and you were like, "You just want to share your voice," and I was like, "That's it." That's it. So thank you for that. It's been a beautiful journey to watch unfold the steps you have taken, what you do now. You have a podcast, you have a website, and you continue to work as a hospice and palliative care physician, which is so, so important, so vastly needed by every human everywhere. An honor. And it was an honor for you to attend ACE. And it's wonderful to meet you in person. It was so great. Like I, I remember everyone just being like, oh my God, it's so nice to be able to hug you and to put a real person and a face to just, you know, a box that we normally see on screen. And it was so great. And I had the best time. And thank you for putting that together for, you know, women physicians. It was a needed event. The theme for today is intention intention, intentional living, intentional conversations, intentional relationships. We can start anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) I know. What comes up for you? Where do you want to start? Uh, You know, I was thinking, I was just listening to your most recent episode um, and you were talking about how, you know, so many people are asleep to their own life. You know, when you walk around and you see people, And I remember I was that person too. I would just, you know, I used to be a hospitalist and I loved it. And I remember just feeling like I was going through the motions, you know, just waking up, going to work, doing my thing, coming home. And I would just sit and veg and watch Netflix and that would be my day. And then it would turn into months and years. And then after a while, I was like, ah, what am I doing? Like, what am I actually doing with my life? And then I decided that I wanted something more. And I think even back then I was like, you know, I have a great life. I have a good job. I have a good family. And wanting more felt like guilty, you know, like that sense where you're just like, well, I should be grateful and I want more. Like there's a disconnect there. And so I wanted to, I did Palcare because my best moments at work were the times where I could sit on the patient's bed and just hear their stories. Like those were the best five, 10, 15 minutes of my day. 
And as you know, when you're a hospitalist carrying 15, 20 patients, like you don't have the luxury of time. You don't have the luxury of being able to talk to people. And so from everything I've learned doing PalCare during the pandemic and afterwards, it's just, you know, we're on autopilot so often. And if we can just take the time to be intentional about how we're living, what our thoughts are, the decisions that we make, it totally can be transformative. And it's something that you talk about a lot on this podcast as well. What do you think that more is? Like if you had to summarize it in a few different words, what is more? Mm. You know, I was just um, talking with uh, a couple of people and their word for this like season of their life was abundance. And abundance for me, the first word that conjures up is more and this sense of wanting something else, Um, whether that's more in a positive way, and then sometimes more can be too much or overwhelming. And then the other part of abundance for me was this enoughness, right? I was always chasing that next shiny object, whether it was like a work promotion or like, I don't know, a fancy new handbag. And it was always this sense of being like, if I could just get that proverbial thing in the future, then my life will be okay. Then I'll be enough. And then I came across this quote recently. I don't know where exactly where it's from, but I think it was a a coach talking to one of the athletes they were training. And they said, if you're not enough without the gold medal, you won't be enough once you get it either. And that to me was like, oh, like, holy cow. Like I was spending so much of my life wanting something else because I wasn't satisfied, because I wasn't, you know, happy where I was. And so part of the more was knowing that I had more. Like you said at the beginning, like I knew that I had more to say and more to give, but also not knowing how to express that fully because. I was scared of being myself. I was scared of judgment and fear and all of that stuff. Craig and I recorded an episode. It comes out this Friday, which will be long. It comes out well before this episode will will air. And one of the things that I learned through life is that peace is an inside job, that there's not anything external, you know, provided the basics are taken care of. The external world isn't filled with peace for me. It's an inside job. And for me, more was peace. I want peace. I want a feeling of fulfillment, satisfaction, contribution, like I'm doing something and I'm being the person that I want to be, which is not the one who's checking off to-dos and hustling. Yeah, 100%. And the the meaning, the fulfillment, the peace, you know, it, all, it almost felt like once I got into Palcare and I love it. And I almost hate to say this, like when I was in medicine, you know, people are like, oh, you're a doctor. It must be just like a calling. And in some ways I felt like it was, but there were so many times where it just, it didn't feel like that. And now doing Palcare, doing hospice, like I do feel like all the steps in my life that got me to the person that I am today they kind of fit together and they make sense because I'm doing work that's meaningful to me because I'm like so happy because I just love 
being there at the bedside. I love being with these patients and, you know, being around real, raw, human conversations and emotions. And it's exactly like you said, that peace that it brings. Right. And it's an absence of hustling. It's an absence of trying to fit a mold of who you're supposed to be, expected to be, needed to be, that you can meet as a human, as a human who has a bunch of resources that could potentially help another human, but you could meet them where they're at and have that connection and conversation. It is not common. It's not common in the hospital setting. It's not common in general society to have those conversations and connections where there no guard is needed, no defenses are needed. We can just be. Yeah. And that was one of the things when we were in training that I remember a nurse practitioner, she just was so skilled at just being silent, just totally intentionally listening to a patient. And she would sometimes just sit in silence for a minute, two minutes, three minutes, which is, you know, when you're interviewing a patient just feels like forever. But I remember asking her, I was like, why, why do you use that so frequently? And she should be like, you know, if you just give patients the time and the room to speak, they can give you something so profound on the other side if you just allow them the space to do so. And I think it's the same thing. We we're hustling all the time and we don't allow ourselves to sit in silence, to be quiet and to try and find that peace because we're always just like, what's next? What's next? What's next? And it's amazing how many people, when they hear their own voice, when they say something out loud and they give space to whatever's on their mind, they can come to their own conclusions. They can answer their own question. They can solve their own problem. I think one of the most profound things that I've learned is that I don't need to be a fixer. There are times that I do, but in general, like Dina George and fixer, those don't need to go together. It could just be Dina George. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it turns out people don't like to be fixed. Unless they're in the hospital and then they do want somebody moving their healthcare forward. <laughs> exactly. And this, you know, this sense that we have to fix things that like, if we don't fix it, it's because there's something wrong with us, not because it's a bad situation that maybe can't be fixed, right? There's so many things that we come across challenges, transitions that whatever you say, whatever you try to do, it may not actually work. And then the question becomes, how do we deal with that? How do we deal with the unknown? How do we sit in that discomfort? Which is, a, it's a huge benefit of palliative care. It's a, I think it's a, a huge asset in a well-lived life, which is being able to sit in uncertainty and not fast forward to a tragic ending. So I'd love to hear how you think about it and how you approach it. I, I pull from my own clinical experience because again, like I've had patients who, you know, I had this young guy who um, probably was in his twenties and he married young. Um, his wife was in her twenties and she had this like really terrible congenital lung disorder. And um, she ended up dying in the hospital on a vent. And I just remember him uh, so distraught calling his friends and he was like, you know, she just died, bro. Like she just died. And I, I just remember like, what, 
can I say to this person at this point, like right now to make it better? You know, I just remember like there was nothing that I could say, right? So in those moments, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to be present. I'm just going to witness a human being another human and tell them that, you know, I'm here and show them that I'm here. And when it comes to my own life, it's kind of the same thing. It's giving ourselves the compassion to be like, you know what? I'm doing the best that I can right now with what I've got, and that's okay. And sometimes we're not going to have the answer. Sometimes there is no answer, and that's okay. Like you said, we don't have to fast forward. It's going to, the future is going to happen, it's going to come. And how can we be present in this moment right here? So what really stands out in that example, like, and I'm holding onto it mentally going, the question that you posed is what can I say to make this better? And it's so often that's what we do. Like, how can I make this better? Assuming that every situation is called, not you're doing this, but I do this. Assuming every situation is calling to make, for me to make it better. And I have to realize that is not the point of human life. I want that but not every situation calls for it. It may be premature. And I really appreciate how you phrase it or how you look at it from your own perspective is just how can I be present or how you turned it into how can I be present, which in my mind is what is it that they need or how can I show that I care and her life mattered? Because in in those kinds of moments, that's what I think about is for the individual, are they wondering, did their did their friend, did their parent, did their spouse's life matter to others? And absolutely is the answer. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. When it comes to those situations, it we always default, I think, a lot of times to the negative, right? Like, what did I do wrong? What could we have done to, again, have made this not happen? And then I think, what happens is at some point when you're able to celebrate their their existence their life it becomes just a different way of thinking about that person you know i remember watching um i think it was andrew garfield who was on uh the colbert show or late night with stephen colbert and he's talking about how he his mom passed and that Every time he thought about her, it was just this unexpressed love. His grief was an unexpressed love that even though he told her every single day and he made her feel so loved, the immense emotions that he felt after she passed was a way of honoring her memory in that sense, honoring her life. And I think that's a beautiful way to think about it. And again, you know, grief is something that's very personal to every single person. Um, and there's no one way, there's no right way to think about that. But the way of celebrating someone's life in that manner, just, you know, it, it makes you feel like, yeah, we really had a connection and I'm going to celebrate their time on earth and I'm going to celebrate their memory by living in a way that would honor them. The default emotions that that I see in the hospital setting from caregivers, whether they're adult children, 
or spouses, or sometimes they're even parents taking care of their adult children is not enoughness, guilt, shame for not doing more. When, when these individuals have done and given so much to the person, but they couldn't stop whatever was happening. They couldn't stop time. They couldn't stop disease. They couldn't, maybe they couldn't stop some behaviors that contributed to whatever happened. Uh, and that is one of the things that I've learned to speak to, or at least try to speak to, which is to, to openly say, you know, a lot of, I, I work with a lot of caregivers who feel like they haven't done enough. Does that come up for you? Just to open up the conversation to then be able to say, you have done so much. You've gone above and beyond. You've expressed so much love and, and the person that you care for has lived years longer likely because of it. Yeah. And when you were talking, the the word that kept coming into my mind was control, right? This sense that we have to be able to control things that are uncontrollable, right? Like how quickly a person's disease advances or, you know, whether they're going to wake up from a massive head trauma and head bleed. Like I remember, you know, during COVID and having all the trauma there, like that was one of the things I really had to reckon with, you know, especially being, you know, a physician too, like control is every, is part of everything that we do. Right. Like I remember, you know, when you're correcting for sodium, it's like, don't go too quickly. Otherwise you're going to throw them into locked in syndrome. You don't want to do that. Like, you know, then you're like, oh my God, oh my God. And then when we're faced with situations where we don't have control or we feel as though we don't have it, it just is becomes catastrophic because we're just holding on so tightly to be like, what can I control when nothing is available to us? This is on a different line, but what comes up just hearing you say that, it reminds me of this time that I was in Iraq. And I was outside and there would be these overhead alarms that go off if there's incoming. So if there's incoming artillery or just anything that could harm us. And one of them went off. And usually in the place that I was in, in the green zone, there was a bunker that you could run into. So these cement structures to help shield any damage. And I looked around and there was nothing. There was nothing to run to. There was a building, but the building was like 10. It would it wouldn't have made anything better. And I got on the ground and I said, all right, God, nothing I can do. Here I am. <laughs> wow. And thankfully nothing happened, but it was in that moment of just realizing I've got my health and I've got my faith. And right now, it, whatever's going to happen, I have no control over. Mm. And how is that, how has that informed the rest of your life afterwards? I think that for a number of years after that, I've still battled wanting control. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I think is very human, it's very human in me is setting these conditions. If I do, then this will happen as though it's a guarantee. And it's not the case, right? I can do everything right and it can all go horribly and I could do everything wrong. It, it can all go so amazing, whether it's in my personal life or how I practice as a physician. We can follow the books and the patient's body doesn't cooperate, doesn't mm. follow what the book says is going to happen. More recently, I have learned to say that this is a journey, 
to look at the resources that I have for the journey and to talk with people, whether it's again, personal life or professional life to say, this is where we're at. This is what we've got. These are the possibilities. How do we want to proceed? Not knowing and not being able to control the outcome once we make a decision. What is it that we're going to say, no matter what happens, that was the best decision we could have made. How do we make peace with that? Right. And through working with a therapist and obviously lots of coaching, realizing that if I do want control, it's not, as you said, with peace, it's not outside of me. It's all within, right? I can control how I respond to certain situations. I can control to an extent, you know, the emotions that I feel, the thoughts that I have on a daily basis. And that is so empowering to, especially to a control freak like me, I'll, I'll you know, admit it. it. It just feels like, oh, there is something within my locus that I can actually have influence over. And then to use it to be like, how can I live my life in a way that's aligned with my values, with who I am, with who I want to be, and then let that lead the way. For sure. I think about the unanticipated outcomes that happen in the hospital, right? We we follow evidence-based care and maybe let's say somebody with a stroke comes in an ischemic stroke, so the blood's cut off, and then that stroke turns into a bleeding stroke, the hemorrhagic conversion. So we can do all the things that the book says, that the stroke, that that the research says to do, and we can't control which ones are going to convert and which ones aren't. Um, but what we can control, what I think about is having the conversation before anything happens, getting clear on what the goals are, getting clear on that there's understanding of what's happening and not running away, not running away emotionally when if or when something changes, not running away physically if or when something changes to be able to say at each point of the step, I'm here. What are your thoughts? So Oprah is one of my role models, right? And I remember when she was watching an interview of her in 60 Minutes, and it was before she started the Oprah Winfrey show. And she was being interviewed, and they asked her, like, well, um, you know, the show is coming out. Are you excited? She's like, yeah, yeah, I am. And then they asked her, well, what if it doesn't do well? And then she immediately responds, well, then I will be fine right? I will be okay because my worth, my value is not determined on whether my show does well. And I think it's so powerful to be like, how can we be so secure in our own self-worth, in our own value that it's not dependent on what happens with our jobs? It's not dependent on you know what happens with our children if we're a parent. It's not dependent on any of these external things that we tie our identities to, right? Um, you know, when I was I was so wrapped up in my identity as a physician, and I still carry that with me, but it was the one thing that I was so secure and so sure of. And then when COVID hit and you know everything hit the fan, it's like you don't understand who you are anymore. And I think that that is a huge piece that a lot of people don't talk about because we don't realize how wrapped up we are in that. 
What's important to you now? I would say growth is important to me. Healing is important and impact, however small, however large it can be. I think it was one thing at the ACE conference and through coaching too that I have felt is if I can get myself better in a place where I am healthy, I'm healing, I'm thriving, then imagine what the ripple effect could be if I could do that for someone else and if they can do that for someone else and if they can do that for their community, then it's this beautiful domino effect of healers helping other people. And that's what I, that's what I, that's what's important to me right now. Yeah. And to do it in a, in a meaningful way, there's lots of things that are intended to like feel good in the moment, you know, mantras or quotes, things like that. Those don't penetrate as deep as somebody expressing care and concern, whether it's, it's through a podcast episode, whether it's through real life interaction. That's awesome. Yeah. How are you growing? I like to remind myself of how far I've come by looking at a situation and being like, hey, my old self would have run away from this, right? My old self would have cowered in the corner and just been like, I'm not touching it. I'm not doing it. My old self would have I don't know, not put my face on video. My old self wouldn't have started a podcast. My old self wouldn't have done this. And it's like, oh, even though there are days when I feel like I'm not making any progress at all, when I feel like I am just sucking to the greatest extent that I could be sucking, when I remind myself of that and how far I've come, whether it's last week, a year ago, several years ago, a decade ago, then I'm like, wow look what I've created. And I know you feel the same way too, right? Like, look at what I've been able to do and look at all the challenges I've been able to go through and look at the person I've become because of that. And I think that's beautiful. Yeah. What types of practices do you use or or have as part of your routine to stay in that intentional space? When I was training, you know, it was always one of those things where it's like, how do you deal with such emotional conversations, situations? And one of the things was the kind of the hand on the doorknob. And before you go into a patient's room or an interaction or a family meeting, you put your hand on the doorknob and you rest it there to remind yourself and to ground yourself that I'm supposed to be here right now, that my mind, my body is here. And it's the same thing when we leave work, like my mind and my body is at home, not at work. Another thing that I like to do is really just practice gratitude. But I think it's easy to practice gratitude and be like, I'm grateful for the same three things, my husband, my family, you know, all these things. So I've been trying to get more intentional about what am I really grateful for in the last 12 hours? Even if it was an awful day, even if it was terrible, um, what can I be grateful for in this day? And then you find things that are like, oh, wow, 
it's really like I was able to do this and do that. And I'm actually really, really thankful for it. I like to keep a healthy, I mean, my job gives me a healthy dose of reality and how it could be different and how lucky I am and how lucky we all are to be able to do the things that we do that we take totally for granted that patients would kill for. They would die to be able to, you know, talk with their families without losing consciousness. They would, you know, they would love to be able to eat without vomiting up their food immediately. And so in those instances, I feel extremely blessed. I feel so lucky that I'm able to do this. And I hope that it continues. All right. Are you ready for the hardest question? Or maybe yeah. it's the, it might be the easiest question. I'm always ready. I love a challenge. <laughs> what advice do you have for me? For you? <laughs> this is a hard question, but I love it. Because <laughs> I also see you in a way as, as someone who's so wise that you don't need advice, but that's not true. We all could use a healthy dose. Absolutely. My mm. human is very human. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I would say to allow yourself to be without the expectation of needing to be anyone except who you are. The expectations that we place upon ourselves, I think it's, you know, it's easy to compare and say that, oh, that was the right way to do it or that sort of thing. And you specifically and anyone who's listening are this like wonderful, beautiful unicorn that's like super smiley and has so much to give. And I don't think that anyone can really put you in a box or make you fit a rubric, right? And so that would be my advice to you. And I, I know that you're already living living that. Thank you. Thank you. What I hear you say, or at least the word that stands out is enoughness. Allowing enoughness to be present, which is so important with being and staying in an intentional space. And it's, it's so easy to drift off into a little bit of comparison, a little bit of judgment, a little bit of doubt, <laughs> be off the side of the road. <laughs> Words of wisdom. What do you want everyone to know? Mm. So if you could send a message to the whole world at the same time, what, what do you want to say? I was thinking about this the other day about how that term YOLO, you only live once has been, I'm sad because it's kind of been co-opted by like people who just want to use it as an excuse to eat Tide Pods and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I see it so often that it is just in so many ways a miracle that we are who we are. Like if you just think about the chances of you, of me, of anyone being born, of all the things that had to go right for us to be exactly where we are now. It's like one in, I don't know, 400 trillion or something ridiculous like that. And so how are you going to live this life that you've been graciously given, whether you are religious or spiritual or not, or you only believe in science? Like, this is the only show. There's this is the rodeo. There is no dress rehearsal. There is no take backsies. Like this is it. 
And so how can we create an unstoppable life? How can we create one that we're so, so excited about that when we get to the end, when you know you see someone who works in hospice and palliative care, you can get to the point where you look back and you're like, man, I soaked up every single possible minute of this life. And I'm so grateful and I'm ready to face whatever comes because I've lived a life that has been so freaking amazing, all the good and all the bad, because there cannot be light without shade. There cannot be you know, one without the other. And so that is what I'd love to leave people with. And for everyone to know, none of this was scripted. These questions are completely spontaneous. And this really is Kathy. And that's what makes her an amazing human. Thank you so much, Gina. I, it's always such like a gift to be able to talk with you and just bounce ideas off of each other. And I love what you're doing. And thank you so much for having me on. Where can people find you? So my podcast is The Purpose Filter. It's any available anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, I'm at Purpose Filter on Instagram. And my website is Louis Kathy Zhang, and it'll be available in the show notes. And where can people find you in the future? What's the big thing? Um, I'll, can you give us right. a preview? I'll, I'll get real vulnerable here. Um, I... I like I said, Oprah is a huge influence and role model, um, and I would love to be some version of Asian Oprah in the future, or Asian Brene Brown, and be able to help people live better lives um, by helping themselves so they can help other people. So leading, speaking, mm-hmm. on camera, mm-hmm. sharing my voice, as you said, all those years ago. And I'm so glad to be a cheerleader. Yay. (laughs) I love you. Thank you. Thank you. And I look forward to a very long friendship. Yes. (laughs) Yay. Thank you. Love you too, Dina.